Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Michael's Mixdown. Michael's Mixdown is a show primarily about the recording arts. So whether it was made in the studio or in the stadium, you can hear about it here on Michael's Mixdown. So in this month of September, I was thinking, what songs could I do um, episodes about that kind of tackle the change of seasons? And I was thinking about, um, you know, summer going into fall and just, uh, I don't know, songs about change or songs that use uh, the changing of the seasons to represent different things. And, of course, one of the first things that popped up into my mind was Wake Me Up When September Ends. And that got me thinking that American Idiot is one of my favorite albums ever. So I think it's time that I do an episode about it. So today I'm going to talk about Green Day's American Idiot. Uh, it was Green Day's seventh studio album. <clears throat> it was recorded at uh, Studio 880 and Oceanway Recording, both in California. And it was released on September 21st in 2004. Uh, this was a, uh, a pretty big t departure from the band's earlier work, where they had been um, a lot more kind of straightforward punk and uh, some rock, and then this is a, a, a concept album that uh, they dubbed a punk rock opera. It was also um, made into a Broadway musical, so it was a little different, a little more ambitious than uh, what they'd been used to doing. <clears throat> it was produced by Rob Cavallo and engineered by Doug McKean and mixed by Chris Lord Algie. Uh, who had uh, previously worked with, uh, I don't know, a few small-time artists like James Brown, Prince, Joe Cocker, uh, Teen Turner, Bruce Springsteen, you know. And uh, it was mastered by Ted Jensen, who uh, was the mastering engineer for Hotel California. So no uh, small amount of talent um, spared or anything for this album. In fact, Chris Lord Algie is so famous for being a uh, mixing engineer that Waves has an entire line of plugins that were designed uh, in part by him called the CLA series, uh, where they model um, all kinds of different hardware um, compressors and things like that. And uh, he, he slaps his name on it and gets a lot of money, probably. <laughs> um, this is a pretty a pretty big album. It was uh, really really successful. Rolling Stone ranked American Idiot twenty second on their list of the greatest albums of the two thousands, and two hundred twenty five on their list of the five hundred greatest albums of all time. Kerrang had it at thirteen on their greatest rock albums of all time, and number one in their top fifty rock albums of the two thousands. American Idiot was nominated for Album of the Year, and it won Best Rock Album at the 2005 Grammys. 
American Idiot the Song was nominated for several awards, and Record of the Year went to Boulevard of Broken Dreams. American Idiot was Green Day's first number one album in the U.S., which is kind of shocking because Dookie did so well. Um, and anybody that loves Green Day is probably more in love with like Dookie than they are with American Idiot. So yeah, this uh, this is a this is to say the least is a strange album. How it came to be and the band it came from came out of left field and then just took the United States and the rest of the world by storm. Um, the Band at the time that this came out was not exactly the number one band in the world. Uh, they had their big hits in the 90s, and then they'd kind of fallen on, uh, I don't know, less successful times. I won't say they fell on hard times or anything, but they were not as successful as they had been in the early to mid-90s. After warning, the band had begun work on an album titled Cigarettes and Valentines. However, the master tapes were somehow stolen from the studio, and they decided to scrap that entire album and begin working on American Idiot. So, for the recording of this album, each member of the band, Billy Joe Armstrong, Mike Dirnt, and Trey Cool, began writing 30-second snippets of songs that they began stringing together. This would eventually become The Sweet Homecoming, which is uh, one of the, the last songs on the album, which then began them in the direction of longer prog rock style songs with movements. Trey Cool brought a bunch of drum kits and over 75 snares, and all the drums were recorded on uh, two-inch tape and then transferred to Pro Tools where uh, all the other recording was done and then all the drums, except for the one track, were recorded in uh, Ocean Way Studio B, picked for its high ceilings, which lended to the acoustics that the band was looking for. The other percussion on the album includes timpani drums, glockenspiel, and hammer bells. Um, so there's a little bit of variety uh, sprinkled in here and there. It was another kind of... Uh, bold new move, uh, new new territory for a green day. Um, the drums for What's-Her-Name, which is the last uh, track on the album, were recorded in a dry guitar room, um, which means that would have had almost no reverb uh, as opposed to a big room with a high ceiling that would have had like a big natural reverb. The bass was a uh, Fender Precision bass, that was run through an Ampeg SVT amp and then also through an Evil Twin DI. Uh, I couldn't find a lot of information about the guitar uh, choices, but um, a lot of Les Pauls it sounded like, uh, but it, I couldn't really find out anything about amps or uh, whatever else was used equipment-wise there. The album took 10 months to record, um, and cost $650,000. And I thought this was a funny tidbit that, you know, they'd had so much trouble. They had their master tapes of their last album uh, stolen. And then the first day that they started to record American Idiot, there was a fire in the studio. <laughs> so it's probably a miracle that we have this album because if that were me, I would have been like, all right, screw it. I'm going home. I'm, we're not doing it. I'm, t <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> um. 
I also wanted to mention that this is the first episode of Michael's Mixdown that's being recorded in the new studio room. I uh, did some rearranging recently, and I've got the new room all set up here, and it uh, sounds pretty good to me, I think. Uh, you probably don't notice any difference, really. There's probably no real perceivable difference, but uh, I'm pretty pleased with it. I've I've got no complaints. The only thing uh, I have to complain about is I've got a co-pilot here in my uh, other chair, my new puppy, Ryder. He's very vocal, and I, I don't have, like, anybody to take care of him or anything while I'm recording, so he may just... Uh, he may bark and go nuts or something, and uh, I don't know if he's going to do it a lot. I don't know I'm going to edit it all out because I don't know if I've got the time to to do it. <laughs> but um, anyway, let's get back to American Idiot. Um, the lyrics and, like, the concepts of this album um, are a little loose. The, it, it's a concept album. It's got characters. There's a story. But in my opinion, it's a little loose, especially because I haven't seen the Broadway musical because um, I really just wanted to talk about the content that was on the album here. And I didn't want to be influenced by the um, whatever changes they might have made for the Broadway musical. And I would say that a lot of the story is up to interpretation and a lot of it, it would have been nice if uh, the band had, you know, maybe filled us in on what their intention here and there was because I had to do a lot of looking on like lyrics genius and stuff to figure out uh, what the hell some of this stuff was. And uh, the other thing is there's a lot of harsh language on this album. So if you're used to Michael's Mix Down being a little bit more of a family-friendly show, um, this may be a, a good one to skip if you don't like harsh language. But uh, otherwise, you know, continue to listen on there's just there's going to be harsh language it's really pretty unavoidable at this point and um i i'm probably going to use some harsh language because green day is going to use harsh language i might as well too so there are three identifiable characters in american idiot we've got jesus of suburbia saint jimmy and what's her name most of the story here is kind of left up to the listener, I think, but there are themes of political unrest, drugs, uh, and the climate and culture of America in the early 2000s during the Bush administration and the Iraq War. It includes some references to reality television, the media, and the disenfranchised youth of America in the early 2000s as well. This is definitely politically charged as punk rock tends to be. So let's take a look at each song and uh, just kind of go through each one a little bit. Uh, I've got a little bit of uh, something to say about each one, and we'll talk a little bit about the story and uh, some of the mixing and the stuff I like, and and uh, we'll we'll just kind of go through each one here. So the title track, American Idiot, my first impression of this album on this song is, 
how did they get it so damn loud? Like, whenever I play anything from this album, it's always louder than whatever I was just listening to. Uh, and it's even louder than some, like, contemporary metal that I listen to. This album is loud. I mean, go play this album and then play any other track. It's going to sound quiet next to American Idiot. Um, and I don't know how they managed to make it sound so loud. And what's crazy is there's only three guys in the band. So there's only guitar and bass and drums and vocals. So it's just, it's loud as hell. I mean, it's it's one of the loudest albums I've ever listened to. It's it's louder on CD because sometimes if you listen to it on like uh, YouTube or Spotify, they'll um, normalize the audio f- for you so that you're not blowing your speakers out going from like something quiet to something like American Idiot. But, um, but yeah, this, this album is really freaking loud. Let's just leave it at that. Um, they do sacrifice dynamics a little bit for the loudness. The A lot of these uh, songs, especially when I've got them loaded here into Pro Tools, can see the waveforms. They just look like big, thick sausages, and there's not a whole lot of dynamics going on. But uh, if you want it loud, you gotta you got to sacrifice dynamics a little bit. Um, I love the big guitars. Um they're just they're huge and the drums are just really tight and punchy billy joe has uh, some slight distortion on his voice which was common at the time for like punk and emo type music and it still is common for uh, certain types of uh like punk and rock and metal because a little distortion on the vocal just I don't know, it kind of adds a little bit of crispy high end to it and helps it cut through a really loud mix like this one with really loud guitars and drums and stuff. Their playing is really tight. Um, it's impressively up-tempo, and um, the song almost serves as like a preamble to the rest of the album, uh, introducing the political revolution-type themes that will be present later. Um, and I like the wordplay here with uh, alien nation and, and alienation. Um, like I said, we're, we kind of talk about how a lot of the, uh, the youth of America felt alienated from from the rest, you know, from their parents and from the older generations. But we're also a big topic in this country is uh, foreign aliens from, you know, other other countries being here and, and uh, what, what we feel about that kind of thing. So I like that. It's cool wordplay. Uh, let's go on to the next track, which is Jesus of Suburbia. Love. The Jesus of suburbia, the Bible love, the, 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 the,
This song is much the same as the first. It's loud as hell. It's in your face. And here's where we start to get into this loose story of the album. We meet the character Jesus of Suburbia, the son of rage and love, raised on soda pop and Ritalin. The way that this song is structured was a really big change for a usually straightforward Green Day. Uh, People were probably confused when they were met with a nine-minute long song divided into five sections. Each section is punctuated with a little solo, or you might call it a feature, uh, from a different instrument, either the drums, the guitar, or the bass. This is a really proggy move, uh, something that would be more at home in like a dream theater or a rush, uh, but that's why I like it. We hear some acoustic guitar, uh, which is present on and off throughout the album, and uh, there's more aggressive vocal distortion uh, here and there, like this uh, megaphone effect. The vocal and the snare both go off to uh, one side, uh, different points for a little bit of panning fun, which I think is cool. Just kind of mixes it up. There's a music video for this song if you want to get more connected to the story, but it basically depicts the disenfranchised youth, the the scene, emo, punk-type kids of California partying and doing drugs and getting into fights and having sex. And then Jesus of Suburbia leaves home to go be on his own. This next song, Holiday, this has to have entered the rock and roll riff hall of fame. This song is really... Uh, iconic. This opening is really iconic. And I think it's a song that almost anybody from my generation would recognize instantly. Like an arm again and flame. Not a shame, the ones who died with. 
This song uh, has a lot of anti-war lyrics and was a huge criticism of the Bush administration for invading Iraq, according to Billy Joe, who penned it. There's a lot of sly references to the state of the world in the U.S. in 2004, but my favorite is the uh, Sig Heil to the president gas man, bombs away is your punishment, pulverize the Eiffel Towers who criticize your government. Uh, somebody on the Lyrics Genius website pointed out that uh, France did not support the U.S. invasion, and then that bred some anti-French sentiment uh, in the U.S., prompting some people to uh, relabel French fries as freedom fries, and I had totally forgotten about that. It was a weird time to be alive, for sure. The loose kind of story here is that Jesus of suburbia has moved from the suburbs to the city and is looking to get away from his problems. I think Billy Joe has basically written this character as a teenager that lived in America at this time and that these are his thoughts about the war and the state of the nation and stuff like that. So that song then fades into Boulevard of Broken Dreams, and I love this tremolo effect on this guitar. It's so wide, and it almost, like, sucks you in. It's very entrancing. Uh, this is another, like, generation-defining song that pretty much everybody my age knows. You couldn't escape this song for, like, the first five years it was out. Um, apparently, Boulevard of Broken Dreams is a nickname for the Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles. There's also a painting of the same title that is a spin on Edward Hopper's Nighthawks, but the people in the painting have been replaced by Humphrey Bogart, Marilyn Monroe, James Dean, and Elvis Presley. The next track is Are We The Waiting? There's big, huge drums. Um, I really love these thunderous hits here. The story of the last song and this one is that uh, Jesus of Suburbia is looking for himself uh, and his place out in the world. also do some foreshadowing on how Jesus of Suburbia will develop into St. Jimmy in the next song, which cuts in abruptly, speaking of. Are 
St. Jimmy, this song starts hard and fast, very aggressive and very punk, a direct opposite to the song that came before it. Um, it seems like Jesus of Suburbia develops the personality of St. Jimmy to get away from the waywardness of the last two songs almost. Um, Jimmy is loud and violent, but most importantly is confident and seems to be yelling at uh, the people in front of him, perhaps trying to gather followers with the lines, the king of the 40 thieves and welcome to the club, and I'm the resident leader of the lost and found. These lines uh, shushing Jimmy and its comedy and tragedy help uh, how his mind is split into two personalities. Uh, it helps to show you that a little bit. And uh, St. Jimmy is also a really heavy drug user and a real loose cannon. So we're, we're going to get into that in the, in the uh, next track, Give Me Novocaine. Acoustics here again, which is nice, um, and this might be the nicest singing on the album, although uh, Wake Me Up When September Ends is a pretty big uh, competitor for that. Uh, this song is all about Jesus slash Jimmy's struggles and uh, with drug addiction, uh, probably as a means to escape the trauma of a broken home and the you know world war mentality that are surrounding them. The drugs give them a, quote, long kiss goodnight that will make everything all right and also kiss the demons out of their dreams. Train the pressure from the swelling. The Bring up the 
Then we get a neat transition into She's a Rebel. Uh, it's very smooth here. Uh, that's another kind of proggy influence thing. Um, this song introduces What's-Her-Name, who Jesus slash Jimmy falls in love with. Uh, the song describes her as a rebel and dangerous. She was inspired by an ex-girlfriend of Billy Joe. The song also contains a lyric that uh, inspired the album art. She's a symbol of resistance, and she's holding on my heart like a hand grenade. Extraordinary Girl is the next song, and the intro here is an Indian instrument called the tabla which is a pair of hand drums. So we're getting a little bit of variety here. The main guitar riff is also played like quietly and really slowed down. kicks in, as usual, loud as hell. There's some claps and even a tambourine buried in that mix somewhere. It's pretty dense. Um, but this song might be overlooked for the hits, but I think this song brings some much-needed variety uh, almost a combination of like Indian music with the intro and the riff and like almost uh, like a 50s type doo-wop type song. And I think that this kind of uh, just brings a little bit of variety to the album so that it's not all just, you know, loud guitars and screaming about war and political stuff. Um, I actually, I really like this track for that. Next up is Letter Bomb. This song comes from the perspective of What's-Her-Name and her decision to break up with Jesus Last Jimmy. The intro is sung by Kathleen Hanna, who is the lead singer of the band Bikini Kill. Uh, What's-Her-Name is telling Jay and Jay that nobody likes them and they're a dummy that failed the crash test. Ooh, burn. And uh, in the song Jesus of Suburbia... There's a line to fall in love and fall in debt. And there's a line here now that goes, what's in love is now in debt. She tells him, or perhaps he's telling himself, you're not the Jesus of suburbia, which is his or her way of telling him that he's not a savior and he's not the voice of a generation that he thinks he is. She or he continues that St. Jimmy is a figment of your father's rage and your mother's love and made me the idiot America. This calls back to the line in uh, Jesus of Suburbia that he is the child of rage and love, and now maybe he has become the American idiot that he sought to avoid. Okay, and now here's the song that you probably all came here for. It's Wake Me Up When September Ends. 
summer has come and passed The innocent can never last Wake me up when September ends Like my father's come to pass Seven years has gone so fast Wake me up when September ends Here comes the rain again Falling from the stars Drenched in my pain again Becoming The song actually um, has a lot of weight on this album, but it's not actually directly tied to the plot in any way. It's almost like a little break from uh, from the story and from the characters because no, none of them are mentioned in the song. Um, you could make a case for this being Jesus of Suburbia's state of mind after he loses his girlfriend, but... Um, this song is actually about Billy Joe Armstrong dealing with the death of his father. He died of esophageal cancer on September 1st, and it's claimed that as a child, Billy Joe locked himself in his room and said to his mother, wake me up when September ends. I would really encourage you to get the lyrics to this song and read them. Uh, uses the seasons of summer and fall as an analogy for the death of innocence and childhood. Summer has come and passed, the innocent can never last, and like my father's come to pass, seven years has gone so fast. Seven years is significant here because it was seven years after his dad passed away that he formed a band with Mike Durnt called Sweet Children that would eventually become Green Day. Later, the line goes, 20 years has gone so fast because it was a little over 20 years later that this song was actually written. In the Counting Crows special, I mentioned uh, that my dad had passed a couple of years ago. So this song obviously hits pretty hard for me. I can't imagine what my 7 or 20 years from that day will look like as I'm becoming who I am. Um, boy, this got depressing real quick, <laughs> didn't it? So uh, let's change it up. Uh, you know what other song is about September? That's right, September by Earth, Wind, and Fire. So let's do a mini episode right here, right now, about that song. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Michael's Mixdown. Released in 1978 and also having a place in the Library of Congress's National Recording Registry, September has become something of a meme these days. I see screenshots from the music video, um, and it gets sampled and reworked into all kinds of stuff all the time. DJ Cummerbund remixed it with Crazy Train by Ozzy Osbourne to create Earth, Wind, and Ozzy's. It has over 4 million views, and Allie Willis herself commented on the video saying that she loved it. 
This was a big disco hit written over the course of a month by Al McKay, Maurice White, and Allie Willis. Apparently, Willis did not like the badias, saying, What the fuck does badia mean? And Maurice White replied, Who the fuck cares? Which led Willis to learn to never let the lyrics get in the way of the groove. The 21st of September was chosen for the lyrics because the band thought it just sounded the best out of all the dates when sung. And guess which day American Idiot was released on in 2004? September 21st, baby. Coincidence? I think not. get back to Green Day. Now we've got Homecoming. This is another big one clocking in at over nine minutes and again divided into five sections. There's some varied percussion here and there with the hammer bells and even the big timpani drums at the end. This song largely sees Jesus of Suburbia coming to grips with all that he's learned from his journey in Jimmy and What's-Her-Name. He and Jimmy have some back and forth where St. Jimmy appears to be arguing that he's the spark in the night bearing gifts and trust, and then Jimmy jumps in front of a crowd and tells them, we're fucked up, but we're not the same, and mom and dad are the ones you can blame. Then Jesus of Suburbia finally regains control of his own psyche, and Jimmy dies. The Jesus of Suburbia actually gets the gets a job filing paperwork at East 12th Street, which is a reference to where the Alameda County Sheriff's Office is. And he starts getting cleaned up, um, but he begs for somebody to get him out of there. As stated earlier in the song, everyone has left him. Uh, He begins drinking coffee, 10 cups apparently, uh, maybe as a crutch to help him kick his substance habits. He also appears to be staying up late at night drinking coffee, waiting perhaps for what's-her-name to come back to him. But then he hears her words again in his head that nobody likes him, and he's all alone.
Then we get a new character last minute, Tunny, played by the band's drummer Trey Cool. Apparently, this section is meant to be a postcard from Tunny to St. Jimmy, and this is a friend of his that he hasn't seen since he left that life behind. The lyrics here are sung by Trey, and the drum intro from American Idiot is played at the top of this section, and very quietly, Don't Want to Be an American Idiot is sung at the end of this section. Then Jesus of Suburbia appears to lead a group of other people in similar situations back home where the story started. He refers to going to Jingle Town, which is a community in Oakland. Green Day eventually purchased Studio 880, where they recorded most of American Idiot, and renamed it Jingle Town Recording. The ending here is meant to be somewhat open-ended so that the listener can kind of make their own ending. Last track, what's her name? All of this album is super well recorded, mixed, and produced clearly, but the simplicity of the dry drums here makes this song my favorite in terms of audio quality. Here, Jesus of Suburbia reflects on his past, and he still misses What's-Her-Name, but since he killed Jimmy and has aggressively moved away from his past by burning the photographs, he can't even remember her name. 
I think it's a uh, it's a cool way to end the album. It's kind of a low energy. Um, maybe some people would have considered it kind of a, a pitter out instead of a going out on a boom. But um, I don't know. It kind of follows that basic story structure of having a climax, and then this is like the resolution where it's the it, it's not going to be as exciting as the climax. It's not going to go out on a big boom. But um, so yeah, that, that's American Idiot. Um, I come back to this album every once in a while, uh, about once a year, and every year it remains relevant. All the political stuff, the lyrics about war and the media and the government still ring true to this day, 17 years after it's released. Man, don't tell me it's been almost 20 years since that album came out. Um, I can't tell if it really says something about Green Day's songwriting abilities or about the state of America or both. Um, I'm not sure that Green Day is as popular now as they were in the 1990s and the early 2000s, but I think this album has to have been solidified as one of the greatest and most important albums of all time. And it's funny how I got this album in the first place because my big brother, whose favorite bands were Dream Theater and Van Halen, had this album and I think he liked it for the like the political content. I don't think he was a huge Green Day uh, fan, but I knew he had great taste in music, and I always wanted more whatever he was listening to. And so he burned me a copy of this album, and here we are. So thanks for listening. Follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and... TikTok, where I sometimes post videos. You can find me um, under the handle Michael's Mixdown, or sometimes at Michael's Mixdown. And on TikTok, I'm at m.mixdown. So uh, go follow me, go follow the things, and come back here for more episodes of Michael's Mixdown. And for now... I think it's boogie time. <laughs>